Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Three people and you're going to have four weeks do something. (laughs) It started out of pure stubbornness, which is great. (laughs) Without necessarily meaning to, I think we found this quite interesting niche. No, we did some stuff, and the fact that it's invisible means it works. <laughs> I think art is encoded knowledge and uh, experience. At that time, we were really fascinated by the whole transmedia concept. That was it, not the time-travelling robot idea that we had. Hello and welcome to Technique. I am Sam Fry, and this is the podcast where we speak to artists about technology. This is the first episode of 2020, and it's a good one. In today's episode, I speak to a coach, a facilitator, and a strategist that has done a host of work in the creative and cultural industries. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ellen O'Hara. I'm a freelance business coach and creative facilitator and strategist and I work in the creative, cultural and social enterprise sectors. Yes, today's episode is with Ellen O'Hara. I met Ellen a few years ago when we both worked together at Cockpit Arts, which is a social enterprise and business incubator for craftspeople. At the time, Ellen was the head of business development there which involved her leading on the organisation's approach to coaching the, well, up to 170 craft businesses, plus any research and consultancy that the organisation offered. I wanted to use this opportunity to understand a bit more about Ellen and her approach to working in the creative and cultural industries, which has involved her working at places like Arts Council England, Nesta, British Council, School for Startups, The Prince's Trust and many others. We end up talking about a host of topics from supporting businesses, what it means to be innovative, the importance of social change and why just getting started is often the best approach to innovation. So lots to cover, in which case let's jump into the interview, which we recorded from IBM in London. So you've done lots in the kind of creative cultural industries mm-hmm. in general. Can you talk a bit about what drew you to that broad set of industry in the first place? You'll probably understand as I explain more, my career path is quite wonky. And I started off in management consultancy. And I think it was more of a case of understanding that that wasn't where I wanted to be. And my personal interest was in the arts. So I just began looking for opportunities without really understanding how the art sector worked, if I'm honest. And I saw, I was just very fortunate, I saw an opportunity at the Arts Council, which I applied for. It was in development and business development, which was a good fit for my skills. And it went from there. So it was really a draw, personal interest really, thinking how can I align my values better with what I do on a day-to-day having followed a path that I realised wasn't quite right for me. So what were you doing at the Arts Council initially? Initially, so initially I was working within a team with a broad type of development and we covered audience development, business development, 
diversity. So some of the cross-cutting agendas that all of the art teams were working towards. And so we worked on different projects under those headings, supported arts organisations to develop audience development plans, for instance. I had particular remit for community and participatory arts, which was very new to me. But I think something that really stuck with me and the work that I undertook with those organisations, I still do a lot of that now. And I would describe that as kind of social change through the arts work. I still do a lot of that now. What was meant by participatory? Good question, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, so I'm sure those who are experts will have a slightly different description to me. But essentially work that's engaging communities, and individuals and communities, to use the arts in particular ways. So it might be, say, engaging older people through photography or storytelling to explore either issues that they're facing or challenges or even just therapeutic or as a means of community cohesion. So the art's part of a process and the the outcome in terms of the art that's made is is still valid and valuable, but it's also about the process and, and bringing people together. And do you think that's what was drawing you into the arts in the first place, or do you think that was a, an outcome of it doing was an the out, arts council? It was an outcome, actually. And I, I think I knew that I was... I knew I had a personal interest in the arts. I knew that, you know, I went to galleries. I knew that's that's where I would go when I, when I needed time out. I would kind of fell in love with contemporary dance at university, which I was exposed to at university. But I'd never considered it as a career. And actually, it, it had never been suggested to me as a career and I would never have been an artist but I was totally unaware that there were roles in arts management or or leadership or cultural policy that stuff never um that just never occurred to me I was on a completely different trajectory um so some of it was quite surprising and I, I was kind of feeling my way so most of the time I never really knew what my next job was going to be and I would discover an area that I thought oh that sounds really interesting oh have a go at that next. Because <laughs> we met at Cockpit Arts. Yes. And at that point, you were doing business coaching yes. for craft businesses yes. and also some general development work mm-hmm. for Cockpit Arts yes. as an organisation. Mm-hmm. Between that, you went to the Princes Trust, That's is right. that correct? Yes. And so, what was it that participatory concept that brought you to the Princes Trust, or were you, did in, you have a different yes. agenda at yeah, that point? Yeah, in part, yes. So, there was some crossover of agenda there because some of the participatory work was specifically with young people. So, that, that became a particular interest. So, working with young people to enable them to achieve whatever they want to achieve using creativity. But I also realised at the Arts Council that I much prefer being at the coalface of things. I like direct delivery as much as I like strategy. I like to get my hands dirty. <laughs> and, and also I began to understand how challenging it is for artists to make a living. And I just thought it just seemed like a really big gap. There didn't seem to be many people talking about how to actually pay the bills. The project with the Princess was new. It was an Arts Council-funded project, so I became aware of it while I was working at Arts Council, and I applied to run the project. It was quite groundbreaking, really, because it was one of the first creative industry startup programmes in the country, and it was with specifically with young people. And I, I just felt it was a really good fit, so it kind of drew on my kind of business interest 
but also the social impact element was really strong. So it was probably the first time I started to understand how important those two things were. The creative aspect is almost like it is part of it, but it's not arts for art's sake. It's kind of look at, looking at how creativity can enable people to work for themselves, doing what they're good at, hopefully making some social impact along the way. I didn't go into cockpit as an expert in contemporary craft by any means. I had worked with designer makers at the Princess Trust, so I had a good, I think, a good foundational knowledge, but I wasn't, and I'm still not, an expert in any specific discipline. I would never claim to be that. But I think there was something, again, just from personal interest that drew me in. I think my dad was a collector of glass, um, no, nobody particularly famous. It was an awe or high value, but we used to spend weekends trawling around antique markets and auctions or going to studios and that kind of thing. And I probably didn't make that connection until much later. It wasn't something that was at the forefront of my mind. It was probably only when I started working at Cockpit that I realised I had quite a lot of objects in my house and I perhaps didn't, yeah, didn't see the connection until I look back retrospectively. But there has always been a personal interest there. I still have a lot of glass now. Glass and jewellery is my thing. And I think what's always really interested me interested me about making is it's like like many creative practices it's really challenging to make a living because you're restricted by how much product you can make unless you go into manufacture as opposed to some digital creative practice it's much easier to scale you know if you've got a market then the kind of practicalities of growing a business is um, a lot more straightforward but when you're you know making cer- ceramics or glass half of which will probably explode in the kiln it's a different problem to solve and I found that really fascinating exploring how each of the different disciplines approach that so and I probably didn't I didn't understand the ins and outs of every craft practice until I got to cockpit that it gave me that opportunity to have a look under the bonnet and see what was going on. If you're working with creative people whose whose work is very craft focused, mm-hmm. there's so much of of them in their mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. which I guess is is true for any creative artistic person, but especially so when they're physically making stuff. Absolutely. So, so yeah, there's it's almost an embodiment of them, really. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a kind of a, there's an emotional mm. connection between mm-hmm. them and their yeah. work, mm-hmm. and them and their business, mm-hmm. and their business is is often them. Yes. So yeah. so it's a very different model to something else where you know growing is bringing more people on exactly. or doing less making. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, you know, it does all begin with self expression, really, and so just from a kind of an economic point of view, it's a completely supply-side business, (laughs) which has its challenges. But as you pointed out, actually, when you're working with someone who's really driving them with their own passion or their own research ideas or their own practical skill or their own story about how they started doing what they were doing, for me, it it makes a whole process of helping to build a business like a million times more interesting because you've got this fascinating story and incredible skill usually you know often more often than not to work with so the product is there you know and the story is there and that's probably what keeps me engaged I think that's why I've always stuck with the creative industries in its broad, in its broad terms because you just meet so many fascinating people 
the other thing I guess you were doing when you were at Cockpit was that business development side and yes. Cockpit Arts is a business incubator. Yes. So it is all about growing those businesses mm-hmm. or, or helping them to develop what they do. And my my understanding of what you've done since then is a, a lot of work around incubation mm-hmm. in general. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that kind of work and what you do now and where you've gone from Cockpit? Yes, so so I'm now self-employed and my practice is quite varied actually. So I do still work on programmes where I'm directly coaching artists and creatives and that, that's really important to me. I've probably done that for about 20 years now. Sounds like a long time when I say it out loud. But it's, it's really important for me to still do that work and work directly with people who are making work. And so I still do that. And then I also I work with other organisations that want to develop incubators and accelerators. So um, I've worked on projects with the universities. A few years ago, I was a co-coach kind of and designer for the Digital Arts and Culture Accelerator with Nesta and Arts Council and the Accelerator Network. So that was a fascinating project, looking at how we might apply a tech accelerator model to arts organisations that want to launch digital products. Um, that was a bit of a world first, so that was, that was great fun. And I work with Nesta and British Council now on a programme called Creative Hubs Academy. So that's, it's, not a, it's not an accelerator as such, it's a slightly more flexible model, but it supports leaders of creative hubs to develop more sustainable hubs so that they can support more people but it's a kind of intensive training program and then some what we call learning in action so there's not a pitch at the end but there are some of the other elements of a of an incubator so I think there's this huge scope for taking the the different components and looking at how you can apply them to different organizations and then the other work I do is with arts organisations. So I do some strategy development with theatres, galleries, museums, usually with a focus on building entrepreneurial capability. And I think my strengths are when they actually have a product to launch or we want to look at how they might develop a, a light kind of internal incubation process. So I haven't yet managed to convince anyone to launch a full lab <laughs> or internal corporate innovation thing, but light versions of that. I feel quite at home doing research and strategy, but I much prefer it when it's attached to a real-life project. You, you talked about the, the work with Nesta, I guess arts organisations looking at technology and yes. almost acting as a tech accelerator mm-hmm. yeah. for arts organizations mm-hmm. you said that was an interesting project I'd, yes. I'd love to hear what were the good things about that and mm-hmm. where were some of the struggles sure I mean as a program overall I would say it was a great success in terms of testing a model each of the participating organizations started and finished at very different points and I think that was probably one of the first lessons is that everyone was at, was at slightly different stages in terms of their idea development. So some were still at concept stage and others had already tested a prototype and were much further down the line. And I think our original ambitions were to enable investment readiness and actually most of the participants, it was too early for them. I think they probably almost needed a pre-accelerator Having said that, they all gained a huge amount from it. And I think that particular programme had a great combination of the usual kind of workshop content in, a, in the traditional intensive 12-week 
programme and I think that journey was challenging for some. It was a lot to fit in when you're not just working on that business all the time. So I think the the participants were usually leaders from an arts organisation who were also leading this particular digital initiative and so they were having to go back to their day jobs in between which was really challenging and I but I think they they all achieved an incredible amount considering they were juggling these two things what was really essential for that program was a lot of wraparound coaching so that we had the workshop program and then myself and a chap called Paul Sturrock who supported the participants in between workshops and then for two months afterwards and the demo day was later it was so the accelerator took place over the summer and the kind of pitch day was in the autumn we needed a gap to give them time to breathe and go back to business and apply as much as they they could and that gap was really important and I think just the cohort learning was really important Uh, and all of them reported huge increases in kind of confidence and knowledge and skills some pivoted completely um, some decided that actually wasn't for them and that they could apply what they'd learned to their core business to make a bigger impact and that was that was quite interesting so yeah we learned a lot I don't think we would ever run it again in that way I think my personal reflections were that the the process or aspects of the process can be applied really well and I think working towards a pitch of some kind creates momentum and, and a discipline to actually work through not just not just theoretically work through, but do the work. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about accelerators. You have to do the work. (laughs) You have to make the phone calls and make the prototype and do the stuff. So you really do get to test rather than it just being a training experience. I think for organisations that are already running, unless there is a dedicated team, it needs to be spread over a much longer time period. More of an incubator than an accelerator, really, I would say. It's difficult enough for any business yeah, to go, I'm absolutely. I'm going to dedicate yeah, this person or yeah. this team to uh-huh. doing something yeah. that isn't, they're not employed to do mm-hmm. today. Yeah. So many arts yeah. organisations. Who are already usually at full capacity, you know, using their resources brilliantly, but very little or no capacity for new opportunities. And I think that's one of the challenges for arts organisations. There's no lack of opportunity Uh, And there isn't even a lack of money, I would say, although lots of people would argue (laughs) that that's not the case. It's actually just not having any human bandwidth to run with new ideas. And I think one of the conversations that we would regularly have is how can how can those organisations or those individuals, when they go back, just look at everything in their portfolio and create some space for innovation and create some space for opportunities so that they can respond to, to new opportunities as, as they come through rather than being maxed out all the time, which is usually the case. The other challenge with innovation is that in times where things are tight, that's the first thing mm, to go. Exactly, yeah. So even if there was an intent to go, right, we're going to dedicate this person or, or a percentage of someone's time mm-hmm. to doing something, then as soon as it's crunch time, they're exactly. like, okay, yeah. ditch that, and it's quite hard to pick up again. Exactly. And it's also really hard for those organisations that receive funding from development agencies or trusts and foundations, which is the majority, you know, they're usually tied into a kind of a contract to deliver X programme. And so it's quite challenging to deviate from that and say, actually, we're just going to work on something that's a lot more experimental and to justify 
to themselves and to their board and to their funders, you know, why, why that's happening. And I think, I think we're getting better as a sector and I think funders are getting more confident and in, you know, working in that way and funding more experimental approaches. We've got a long way to go, I think, in terms of how we kind of measure the outcomes of more innovative work, which, which is so ironic to me because making work is all about risk and innovation. <laughs> You know, artists do that brilliantly. It's one thing they do better than anyone else, yet it's not translated into business practice very well. The other thing we were talking about a little bit before was design thinking, mm-hmm. or, or I mentioned it. And, yeah. and I think that's an attempt by businesses mm-hmm. in general to yeah. go, well, how do, we, how do we get everyone to be a bit more creative, mm-hmm. a bit more user-centered mm-hmm. and and actually if you are at the coalface and you are creating work that you're directly having people engage with whether mm-hmm. they're buying it or viewing it or yeah. whatever yeah. then you're naturally having some kind of cycle of yeah innovation absolutely. and adaption and yeah absolutely and i think i mean the design industry has done a brilliant a brilliant job at kind of packaging up its approach in that way business industry however you want to describe it can learn just as much from the rest of the arts and cultural sector who as you say do do that every day so they live and breathe iteration and you know all of the things that we want to try and encourage a bit more of i mean there's nothing more grounding than you know your dress rehearsal or your scratch session where you're kind of inviting feedback from audience and members or even just your team and that you know that happens every you know, it happens all the time and I think a lot of artists, not all, but a lot of artists, they wouldn't necessarily describe themselves as entrepreneurial, but if you break down the, some of the qualities and the fact that, yes, there's research, but there's definitely a bias to action and there's definitely really high levels of resilience and I think there's definitely a high degree of feeling really comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty and all of these things that when we talk about creativity, what does that really mean? To me, it's all of that stuff. It's problem solving and it's about acting when we don't know what's going to happen next. And I think that practice we see all the time. How much do you find yourself working around that that notion of culture change as well? Yeah, it's another area that I would say I would never describe myself as a inverted commas kind of expert in culture change or even organisational development. And there are agencies who who that's you know that's their main business. However, because most of, a lot of the work I do with organisations is is looking at how they can be a bit more entrepreneurial. For instance, it's explicit in that work. And because I'm not a culture change theorist, my approach is always to well let's do a project, let's do a thing that's going to enable us to practice all the things that we want to get better at or change. So if that's about developing insights more frequently or if it's about observing what our customers actually do when they come into our venue or if it's about let's, let's just do it, let's just make a project where we can just start and that's that's my personal approach. Uh, it's not as probably not as structured as some kind of culture change consultants, but I guess it's the nudge approach. If we just start doing something, then we can develop the practice. And I think that's always always my approach with entrepreneurship. I don't you can't teach it, but you can learn it. 
it's like leadership. It's a, it's a practice, so you can learn it by doing. So theoretical research is important, but actually we just need to get started. Something else I wanted to ask you about was the you were on the Claw Leadership Foundation, so yes. talking about leadership in the arts. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? But also, mm. I guess you start for a program of, mm-hmm. of a certain period of time. But are you still involved in that in some way? How does how does that yeah. work? And has that has that impacted your way of of looking mm-hmm. at your role within coaching either yeah. individual businesses or organisations? Yeah. Yeah, it's hugely impacted me and my practice. It was the catalyst for me going freelance, actually. So when I applied to join the Claude Leadership Programme, I was at a pivotal point in my career and I was trying to explore what was next. So did I want to go and be an exec director in a big institution or did I want to become completely independent or somewhere in between? And it was a genuine question. That was a question I wanted to answer. And it became clear to me quite quickly that it was the independence I think I'm much more effective when I'm on the outside kind of poking inwards (laughs) I think I work much better in that way you can be more challenging and supportive I actually I think I went freelance during my fellowship I think I quit my job part way through I don't think I wouldn't would have been able to do it did I not have the support of the network at the time? And my particular CLAW cohort, we're all still very close. It's a really valuable support network for me. Though we do a lot of co-coaching and action learning between us, which is just brilliant. And I also now deliver the strategy training for the CLAW Leadership Programme and the short course. So it's been, yeah, it's been fantastic. And One of the great benefits of a programme like that is it's quite self-directed. So there are some chunks that you all go through, but you can choose to develop your leadership capability in whatever way you want. So for me, it was partly looking at where where does someone like me fit? Where where are the Ellen-shaped holes in this sector? Because I didn't very rarely saw a job description that I thought, yes, that really plays to all of my strengths. And that's really why I went freelance in the end. But also just to, I did some research, some of my own research, which was an ongoing thing for me. I should turn it into a podcast, but I haven't got the capability. Just understanding what entrepreneurial leadership is in the arts. What does it look like? What shape does it take? Because I think there's, when I speak to, not all, but often when I speak to leaders in the cultural sector or artists, they, they have a a perception of what being an entrepreneur is, and it's often quite a negative one, not always, or it's a sense that it's a kind of Alan Sugar-type character, when actually, you know, entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes like leaders do. So I think it gave me a great opportunity to interview some brilliant people and meet brilliant people who are, who I think demonstrate entrepreneurial leadership in a whole host of different ways. Yeah. So it's been brilliant for me. Big up the Claw Leadership Programme. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's why I do these podcasts as well. Yeah. For the same reason. It's, it's good sometimes just to have an excuse to talk mm. to people about whatever. Yeah. You talked about going independent, partly to be able to be an outsider, because mm-hmm. that gives you, I guess, some some flexibility. I, I wonder also if, and maybe this is me portraying my own feelings mm-hmm. about things, but sometimes you can get a lot of resistance to mm-hmm. to change mm-hmm. or try new things. And if mm-hmm. your mindset is very much around let's go and do do something and then evolve mm-hmm. on top of that, mm-hmm. doing something can often be really hard to 
get going. Mm -hmm. So actually being individual and and doing your own thing means, well, no one's going to stop you doing Mm -hmm. your thing. Yeah. So you you do that and then, and then you encourage others on the way, on the way where, where you feel you can help. Yeah. Uh, Whereas I guess if you're part of an organization, whatever organization Mm -hmm. that is, or, or supporting an organization, there's structures in place mm-hmm. which can be a good thing yeah. but can prevent that happening is that is that something you you feel as well or no yeah. absolutely i mean i think i i think i learned shortly after i graduated something that i didn't realize which is that i need a lot of autonomy and flexibility at work it hadn't occurred to me it wasn't until i was working in quite a big kind of corporate environment that i felt the the strain of that and although i didn't get that immediately in my next couple of roles i think i've always been working towards that and i think it's important to try and demonstrate how how beneficial it can be for organizations to give their staff autonomy and to think about obviously within some boundaries and not everyone wants to work in that way you know, lots of people want to have you know a lot more structure and that's fine but i think if we want if we want to be creative truly we have to give people space and we have to you look at our kind of lines of authority and where they stop and start and be a bit more flexible about that. So I think sometimes I can best demonstrate that by being it. <laughs> and if I'm if I'm consulting to an organization, I will usually try and just, you know, spend the time in the organization. So I, I'm not a arm's length consultant. And that's quite important when I'm working with people to for, for us to understand what that relationship will be like and that it will be a collaborative one and that I want to work with, with them in the organisation because I think that by osmosis, if nothing else, then, then the work that we do together can start to have an impact that way. Yeah. What are some of the projects that you're working on at the moment? Is there anything you can talk about? So I mentioned the Creative Hubs Academy just before. So that's that's more of a kind of training development program. I've just finished a brilliant piece of work with an amazing organisation called Theatre Centre. And that was through a programme with um, School for Social Entrepreneurs. And they were looking at launching a new product called Switched On. So Theatre Centre are leaders in the field in terms of enabling young people to have agency and develop leadership through theatre. And they also do a great deal of work in schools and wanted to combine that expertise to develop some new products and services. So they created Switched On, which responds to the PHSE agenda. And it's a pack for teachers with an an audio, radio play and learning materials, all digital. And so that was so it's great to have an actual product for them to launch. So we did our kind of product development stuff and they did some fantastic research and they launched their pilots and then launched the product itself, which is selling well. And through that process, we're able to develop their own kind of entrepreneurial muscle, if you like. And since then, they've hired somebody into an ent- enterprise and development role, which is just a brilliant outcome because they've really kind of dedicated not just resources to it but organizationally committed to that as a part really key part of their strategy that's a really nice example i think of a a complete journey and good luck to them i'm working on a project with warwick university through warwick ventures which is slightly different so this is not so grounded in the arts and cultural sector but it has similarities, which I thought would be interesting to share. And it's working with researchers, so PhDs and kind of doctoral researchers, to look at how they can apply their research in a business context, either through 
the development of a product or a service or through a collaboration. I've been applying lots of kind of startup principles and design thinking stuff and to work with researchers so they can explore where the impact of their research might be. And then out of that, I'm working with one of the projects, which is an arts project, actually, and it's kind of an artist network. And it's been it's been a really interesting journey for me because the, I think the similarities between some, don't want to make too many sweeping generalisations, but between some researchers who are so heavily research-based and some artists who are often also very research-based, you know, very ideas-based, and looking at the similarities and differences in a journey that they might go on to to look at how their how their work can has, have an impact in the world, you know what the purpose of their work is and where they want it to be and where they want it to be positioned and it's been really brilliant. So that's been going on for about eighteen months. What else am I working on? I know I'm very busy. <laughs> you sound very busy. <laughs> You're finding that researchers, their outlook Mm. are quite similar to artists. Do you think you'll be drawn to do more in that area or or not? This time of year, so beginning of January, I always have a period of reflection and I look back at all of the projects I've worked on and think about what I liked about them and what didn't go so well and what I want to do more and less of. And I would like to do more with research, but when I think about my kind of Venn diagram of stuff... There has to be social impact at the core. That that has to be part of the package. And I think as I move forward, that's becoming clear and centre to me that ideally everyone I work with is really driven by social change primarily. So whether that's through research or through arts and creativity or something else, that's it, that seems to, that's the point in the middle that's becoming very clear in, in my focus. So the answer is yes, provided that it's about social change. Definitely seeing more activity, you know, tackling a whole myriad of challenges and, you know, kind of local local issues. And the arts can play, a, you know, a great role in, in that, but I think there's also lots of standalone stuff going on. I mean, I personally, I was thinking about this recently and I was trying to uh, reflect myself on... So somebody was asking me what's, what's imp- so important to me about enterprise development because they 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 know me well and they know my politics and that I'm as the probably the least commercial person they know in terms of kind of you know hardcore corporation capitalism and I was asking myself the same question and I think it's one of the reasons is because whether it's a project or an actual business I think the 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 practice of generating an idea and 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 testing it and selling something and see all the other skills that you that you need that you learn through that process develops so much confidence and agency even if you then go on to do a job or elsewhere I think it leaves you with a a kind of set of skills that you can apply to a whole host of different things and whether it's community organizing or at a big scale or even or you know just a, a small a small small project they're just skills that you just they're hard to come by in any other way even if you do like young enterprise at school it doesn't quite gear you up for it that's probably the best opportunity that you might get what you were making me think about was the fact that you are doing quite a lot of work with universities mm. and so my the thing I was doing before I went to cockpit was mm. I was involved in entrepreneurship at University of Bristol mm-hmm. And I had a job there for a, a year or so doing entrepreneur support. Mm-hmm. So it was societies 
to do with entrepreneurship. So there was a, there was a social enterprise society, there was yeah. an entrepreneur's self-run society, mm-hmm. uh, but there was also a business incubator for students mm-hmm. and there was the coaching around that. Mm-hmm. And their whole thing at Bristol was about we don't care really if there are businesses that come out of this mm-hmm. i mean it'd be great if there is a mm-hmm. flagship business that mm-hmm. we can say that student went mm-hmm. went mm-hmm. here and they started it while we're here isn't that amazing but what we do care about is having a bunch of students leave who are all self-starters mm-hmm. kind of go-getters yeah. and yeah who who will go and start their mm-hmm. own things because we yeah. know whether they're entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs mm-hmm. yes, or, or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. they're going to go and yeah. and do some yeah. some stuff so it, the fact you're doing lots of work around the universities actually that's not everyone has the privilege of going to mm-hmm. university mm-hmm. but that is a, a great space to do that because people are, are potentially willing to try new things and 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 if it fails fine they're still yeah. studying yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and actually just before we were kind of mapping out what some of the outcomes of this university-based accelerator might be. And understandably, the university wants to see you know, businesses surviving or at least new products. Um, but we spent quite a lot of time mapping out if we were to break down some of the capabilities that we want to foster, what might they be? And actually, we're going to measure against those primarily. I mean, there will be some hard outcomes, but... We want to, yeah, I guess we want to see, will this process, does it enable someone to have clarity of their vision? Does it, does it enable them to feel comfortable with uncertainty? Does it enable them to improve their problem solving or their confidence around relationship building or mobilising others or, you know, all of these things that you'd expect a brilliant entrepreneur to be able to do? And not everyone will develop all of those skills or that develop all of those capabilities, but they will definitely hone some of them. And then, as you say, whatever they go on to do with those next, they're all super valuable. And some of them are just really valuable life skills. Um, I think particularly feeling feeling comfortable with uncertainty and risk and understanding your own risk appetite and what you need to take a step is such a valuable life lesson that no one else can really teach you. And you might not even be aware of how important that is until you start to understand it and it you know, it underpins so much of your decision making in life that you know where you sit on that scale so i think being able to develop some self awareness around that is really important There you go. That was our interview with the wonderful Ellen O'Hara. It was really nice to have the chance to catch up with Ellen and find out what she's working on, as it's always interesting. She didn't give me anything specific to plug. However, I would say that if you are working on any kind of enterprise program in the creative industries, or even in the world of social change, then you should definitely reach out to her. She is on Twitter, which isn't a bad place to start, and her handle is at Ellen Mary O. So, that's it for this month as we kick off the new year of episodes. 
We have some great interviews planned. So while you are here, please do subscribe so that you can hear more in the future. I will, of course, be back again in a month's time. In the meantime, take very good care of yourself. Goodbye. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.